Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. When it comes to big or small projects around the home, Tony and Corey have got the know-how and the answers to make your life just a bit easier. Here they are, your Weekend Warriors, Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show built by Par Lumber. I'm Corey Valdez. And I'm Tony Cooks. Thanks for tuning in with us today. We've got another great show lined up for you. You know, it's been a long time since we've talked about uh, this subject, Tony. Yeah, that's right. It has been, if my memory serves, one year. It has been one year since we've we had... Last summer. Since we had this conversation, because this is the time of year a lot of people are thinking about this project. It's an amazing project. You and I have both done it. And uh, honestly, Corey, I look forward to this project yet again. Me too. I really enjoy talking about it because I have personally done this project several times. Yeah. And every time I think about all of these things before I make my final decisions. Right. So uh, what we're talking about, do you want to tell them or you may? No, I want you to tell them. I want you to tell them. And then and then I got something for you right after that. So what are we talking about? What is this thing you've done so many times? We're going to talk about building a shed. Yes. And it's uh, it's one of those things. It's a very, it can be very simple or it can be very complex. And depending on how much thought you put into this project, you could either be really happy with the results or as soon as you're done or within a year, you're going to be kicking yourself. Right. So there's a lot of things to consider when building a shed. It's absolutely the truth. Tell me this, in your opinion, if you think back to the first shed that you built, that you took on that project on your own, and you designed it, and you bought the stuff for it, and you built it, and all this stuff, and then you think back to the most recent one that you've done, mm-hmm. and and what is the progress like? Can you see very, uh, very real, obvious progress? Absolutely. Uh, you know, the very first shed I built was probably more like a lean-to on the side of a house. (laughs) You know what I mean? It had three walls. It literally leaned up against the side of a house. It had no floor. Uh, It was just a muddy mess all the time. And everything that I put in there got kind of nasty. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Ruined. Yeah. So I've gone from that to building actually what we're standing in right now. Yeah. That we've converted into our recording studio. So yeah, I've, I've come a long way. And there's a lot of things I learned. So I want to share that on the show today. Yeah, absolutely. I tell you what, when when you and I worked on this project together, this this uh, studio that we built, uh, when we worked on it together, I saw um, some real genius that went into the design of this. And I, I know that you designed the whole thing yourself. Of course, I was right there with you and I watched you do it. And, um, and I saw some real genius that went into the design. And when it was done, I was like, wow, what an amazing structure that you built for your shed. And uh, it was something to be proud of. It wasn't just a place to park the mower. It's still a place to park the mower, but it also became a sort of design aspect of your property. Yes. It fit with your house. It fit with your property. It was where you wanted it. It was oriented the way you wanted it. It looked the way you wanted it to. Super contemporary. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I know I'm just talking about the thing that you did, but I loved it. And uh, I aspire to to create a shed as, as awesome as the one that you built, the last one that you built. So uh, anyway, we can talk about a lot of those things, how you came to those decisions, what decisions you had to make, and um, and how, again, how you how you made those. So that's a lot of the stuff we want to talk about today, but there's so much to cover. Yeah. You know, if you really break it down, uh, you know, it's like with any project that we've talked about on this show, you want to break it down into the segments 
that are important. And honestly, the number one most important thing you can ever do when you start any project is design it. Right. Which can be daunting because to some people that word design is tricky, right? They, they, they look at things and go, I don't know how to design a shed. I, I, don't, I don't know what, even what I want it to look like. You know, so that can be one of those things uh, that maybe you get some help on. It's not that big of a deal. You go into Pinterest. Exactly. Go into Google. You need to find some inspiration. That's there what you, you need. Inspiration. Yeah. I mean, something told you that you needed a shed on your property. And so you know the functional reason why you need it. Um, what you want it to look like is uh, as far away as just jumping on the internet, going to Pinterest or Google and finding pictures of other people's sheds and deciding what you like. And then make notes of the, the aspects that you like, put all those things together and uh, and then you have it. You know, you start to draw a little picture of it. Maybe you're not much of an artist, but maybe you can just screenshot what you see and and start from there. You know, Corey, if you work for Par Lumber Company. We, we both work for Par Lumber Company. How often does somebody walk in with a picture on their phone and say, hey, man, I want to build this. What's it going to take to do it? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> right? That's what we do. Yeah. And so uh, so we know, we can tell you, our listeners, confidently that if you come into Par Lumber with a picture on your phone and say, hey, I want to build this, can you help me determine what materials I'll need to do it? You're absolutely walking out of there with a materialist, a price, and, and a lead time. And, uh, and they're probably you know, telling you that they can deliver it out there in a couple of days. Yeah, you're probably, you know, you're right on some of those things. I would say that depending on the project, depending on the design and the complexity, you may walk into a par yard into my office and say, hey, can you help me, you know, design this and come up with a material list? You may not walk out with that material list right away, you know. So I just want to throw that out there because some of these, you know, people that work in any place, you know, if you hand them something that's a fair amount of work, they may not have the time in that, that moment, moment yeah. to just dedicate to you for the next two hours, mm -hmm. you know, to have you sit there. Uh, so, I mean, I'll, I'm always willing and happy to do stuff like that, but sometimes it'll take me a couple days to get it back to you, uh, depending on the complexity of that, of that project. Yeah. Well, here's what I'm going to say. You bring it to me. And I'll do it while you wait. No, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. That's a joke. I, I make fun. I'm going to hold you to that. Yeah. <laughs> I make fun. But, uh, but Par Lumber Company is full of employees that love to service their customers and do everything that they can to help to make them happy and satisfy their need. And uh, when that's an opportunity, certainly they will. But I'm telling you that they'll take that responsibility away from you and they will do that for you. And they'll do that with you in some cases. And, and that's a process that there's a lot to be learned there as well. So a lot of decisions that have to be made in that aspect. So you decide what you want it to look like. Then you got to decide what you're going to use to build it, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And these are another, it's another one of the things that we're going to cover. What are the materials that you're going to use? It's not just one set of materials. You can't just say I'm making out of wood and call it good, right? There's just so many different things. And uh, from the size of the door to the size of the floor to the height of the roof, you know, all of those things, the height of the walls, all those things are decisions that have to be made. And in some cases, a picture is not going to answer those questions for you. Yeah, I always say be prepared. When you walk into a par lumber company with a set of plans or a drawing or whatever that is, 
there's going to be a lot of questions. You're going to sit down with somebody and they're going to say, what do you want for this? What do you want for this? What do you want for this? And you need to be somewhat prepared before you walk in there and go, I don't know, whatever's normal. Well, normal to you and normal to the person standing behind the counter are f- vastly different things, right? right? You might think, oh, well, he's going to want, uh, you know, dry lumber. He's going to want roof trusses. He's going to want James Hardy plank siding on that thing. And you give it to him and the quote is not even remotely close to what they want. So yeah. just do some research, be prepared or ask the questions ahead yeah. of time. Yeah, I agree. That, that's all makes perfect sense. How do you decide how big your shed is going to be? You're going to find that out as soon as we come back. You're listening to Tony and Corey, your weekend warriors. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for sticking around. Today, Tony and I are talking about things to consider when building a shed. But I did want to take a quick minute. And if you haven't already, go check out our Instagram and our Facebook pages and our even our YouTube channel now. We're at WW Home Show. Uh, if you search WW Home Show on YouTube, you can find us there. Hit subscribe. And uh, we're putting out all kinds of video content now. It's fantastic. Uh, if you ever have any questions, you can uh, email us at weekendwarriors at par.com. We're actually videoing this podcast right now. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for checking it out. And uh, yes, yeah, video podcasts are on there. We're doing that all the time. Uh, one of the things that we're also on, if you're interested, is our podcasting podcast. You know, you can just go listen to this. Oh, sure, sure. If you're on Spotify... Yes. You can search the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show and get our show every week. Yeah, that's right. So we're we're uh, working on those. We're getting those uploaded uh, every week. And uh, yeah, if, if you, oh, the other thing I was going to say, if you do ever have any questions and you can't remember what our uh, email address is, you can always go to par.com. That's P-A-R-R.com. Click on the Weekend Warriors link and uh, both Tony and I's information is there. And uh, that'll take you to our own website, which is www.homeshow.com. That's right. So, yeah, that's a lot, of, that that's is a lot of instruction, but really it all boils down to www.homeshow at www.homeshow and www.homeshow.com. Yes. Uh, all of those things will get you to those places. And there's a lot of really great stuff there. Yeah. Tons of good content. Mm-hmm. So producer buddy's killing it. Yeah, he is. Uh, before we went to the break, uh, we said this, this very thing. How do you determine what size your shed needs to be. This is where we're going to start with this yeah. project. I mean, honestly, that's probably the, the first thing. That is the number one thing that you need to consider when building a shed is in the design process, you need to think to yourself, what am I storing in there? If you're Tony, maybe you're storing four quads, a lawnmower, tons of yard tools. A weed, a whacker. Weed, weed whacker. Yeah. Uh, you know, just all kinds of things, Some right? of your mom and dad's stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you have to consider. I love you, mom and dad. In that situation, <laughs> you know, how much square feet does each one take? Yeah. Uh, you know, a quad is four feet wide or whatever. Right. And I've got 
I want to stack them two by two. Right. So your shed needs to be at least eight feet wide. And then you need to be able to walk between them. And probably you want to walk past them on either side. So now it needs to be another six, right? So now you're looking at, you want to be 14 feet wide. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, all of those things matter. Uh, how are you going to get around? How is it going to look when it's full? What are the things that are going to be in there? What are you going to need to walk past to get at something in the summer that you won't, you know, be walking past when you need to get at something in the winter, right? So that matters too. Seasons, take that into consideration. What What is going to be in there that you're getting at this time of the year? And what are you getting at during this time of the year? Where is it located? That kind of stuff. Absolutely. Well, in, and uh, like you said, how you're storing them in there. There is nothing more frustrating going into your shed, having to move, you know, you everything around just to get that shovel or just to get that, yeah, uh, you know, the garden, whatever garden thing you need out of the right. back because you've parked all of your quads in there and it's as tight as can be. Yeah. And you have to unload all of them just to get at that stuff. Yes. You know, so there's nothing more frustrating. So I always say, build your shed bigger than you think. Yeah, bigger than you think. Add that extra space because it doesn't become exponentially more expensive based on the square foot. Oh yeah. You know, you have a you have a minimum amount of money that you're going to have to spend to build almost anything. That is 8 by 8, which is probably would be the smallest shed I've ever seen, right? 8 by 8 or 8 by 10. Um but Per square foot going forward, it doesn't become exponentially more expensive. You've already spent that minimum amount. It goes up incrementally just a little bit as you get bigger. Yeah. And so you can add square feet to a standard 8x8 or 8x10 without adding a lot of money. Right. So it's important that you build it as big as you want it to be and not too small. There is a caveat to that, and that is to check with your local jurisdiction. Uh, when you're building a shed, you have to be under typically under a certain amount of square footage or, you know, whatever that is according to your jurisdiction before you have to pull permits. And if you're at that point and you say, well, I just want to build a shed and I go onto my county website and they say that you can build a shed that's up to 200 square feet, for example. Yep. The, which is what it is here. You can build a shed up to 200 square feet and up to 12 feet tall without pulling a permit. Mm -hmm. That's where I wanted to be. Yeah. I didn't want to build anything extravagant. I just wanted to build a nice shed. So there was already something here. I tore it down and I built this nicer, slightly larger shed. Mm -hmm. The old one that I had, I don't know if you remember that thing. It was about three feet deep. Yeah. It was six <laughs> feet wide, three feet deep. <laughs> it was so small. And the door was on the six foot side. So yeah. I had to like put, when I put my mower in there, I had to like pick it up and turn it sideways and set it down. It was the and, dumbest thing. And you set it right inside the door. Yes. So you had to take the mower out to yep. get to anything else that was in there. This is what I already know because yep. I had to get to anything else that was in there. So frustrating. And you had to pull the mower out. It was hard enough to get in and out, and yet you had to move it anytime you were going in there. That's yeah. right. Super frustrating. So uh, while there is a maximum size that you can build without a permit being required, if you need something bigger than that and you have the room on your property, you know what? The permit cost... Uh, it, it just becomes a percentage of the project. It just simply is. Oh, sure. Uh, you know, you, you it's not like, oh, I'd have to have a permit. Well, I'm not going to do that. Well, I understand building as big as you can up to permit requirement, but getting a permit is not the end of the world. It costs a little bit of money, and but then you now have free reign. You can do whatever you want. Well, key, also keep in mind that 
sometimes there are jurisdictional requirements on any th- sort of building that you put on your property. So the the CCNRs, for instance, you might be required to you know design it a certain way. It might you know impact not necessarily with the city, but it, it might impact your CCNRs to say where you put it on your property, how big it can be. So I always say check that information out first before you go down this long path of designing something, you know, the shed mahal, and yeah. you get it on your property just to get a knock on your door and say, what are you doing? Taj Mashed. Yeah, Taj Mashed. Yeah, that's the thing is you, you'll you sell yourself on something. You get really excited about it. This is the plan. This is what it's going to cost. I can afford it. Everything's going to be great. And then you find out you actually can't permit or not. And that, uh, that can be super frustrating. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I don't like being told. What I can and can't put <laughs> yeah. on my piece of property. <laughs> yeah. So I know this about you as well. That can be super frustrating. So just check it out beforehand. Call the city. I called the city and said, how big of a shed can I build on my property? You know, and there's specific setbacks. So that went into the design process of where I put it on my property. Yes. Uh, so let's just check. Just yes. make the calls. Yeah. So that's that just brings up one more quick point. You have to determine where on the property it's going to be. Uh, with the setbacks taken into consideration. And then you want need to also figure out how it's going to be oriented. Which way do you want the door facing? Yes. Do you, you, are you going to have more than one door? In your case, you have two doors. So you have two different uh, sides of the shed that you're, you can enter, which ultimately ended up being a pretty great thing uh, in the end. Uh, so, so that's also important. All of those things, how big is it going to be? Um, where is it going to be? What is the orientation of the door? And, and of course, the design that you had talked about. And all of those things play into how your shed is going to be used and what you can put in there and how functional it's going to be. That's right. Uh, here's another thing to consider. Are you going to put electricity in it? Oh, yeah. Where on the property is it that you need to run electricity to? You know, these things are going to go into uh, impact your budget. For instance, if you live on a large piece of property and you want to put a shed in the back corner and you have to run electricity all the way over there, that could potentially run you over your budget. Yeah. So in in things like that, electricity, you have to get permits for that portion. Uh, so it's just something to consider there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think we, we've, we've pretty much talked there about what size it's going to be. And we talked about the design and, and that sort of thing. That kind of leaves us wanting to jump into um, the materials that you're going to, that's going to be required and what it's going to cost you. And that's going to be your next step, but it's not going to be until after this break. You're listening to Tony and Corey, your weekend warriors. We will be right back. Show built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. Today in the show, Tony and I are talking about things to consider when building a shed. And there are a lot of them. And there are. So uh, we've been talking a little bit about design and uh, where on the property it's going to go. How big is it going to be? How big, yeah, what's you, what are you putting into it? The next thing you probably want to consider is what you're going to build it out of. Right. You know, are you going to do a steel building? Are you going to build a wood frame building? I'm assuming because you're a weekend warrior, you're going to build it yourself. 
that it's going to be wood framed. Yeah. Are you going to do a pole barn construction? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be sitting on pier pads? Are you going to pour a concrete pad? You can um, have a gravel floor. Exactly. What kind of floor is he going to have in it? Uh, these are all things depending on what you want to store into it, right? If you want it uh, dry and you need it to be off the ground, maybe you want to consider pouring a concrete pad. Yeah, here's something I'm going to throw out just as a side note or a thought. Something to consider. Um, if you put just simply put gravel on the ground um, and then you put store things in there like a lawnmower or whatever, the ground will regularly release moisture oh, into yeah. the odd objects that are on the ground. It, even though it's a dry space and it's under a cover and it's even if it's in a shed, if the ground it does not have a vapor barrier to keep that moisture from coming up out of the ground, it will rust the bottom of your mower or your bike or whatever metal items that you have there. Uh, corrosion will continue if um, if you don't do something with the ground. Yeah, that is something to consider there. Yeah. Um, what else, you know, Tony? What about, we talked a little bit about siding. You know, I said earlier, James Hardy, but, you know, there's a lot of options to use on a shed. This one has cedar, has cedar lap siding to match my home. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what does your shed have on it? Uh, my shed also matches my home. I sided it with Hardy. Eight and a quarter hardy cedar mill, and uh, that's what's on my house. That's what's on my shed. Corner boards match. The roofing matches. Um, the trim and the paint all matches the house. So it literally looks like a tiny little version of my home. Yeah. Um, that was not the case for the first many years. As you know, I don't like to paint. So after I built my shed, uh, it sat primed for a long time before uh, it got painted. But once the house, once I knew the house needed to get, a, a, you know, painted properly, Repainted. right, uh, then I decided we'll just wait on the shed <laughs> and paint it whatever color we hit the house. Well, now, here it is, years later, the house is painted, the shed is painted. It's gorgeous. I absolutely love it. It's not, for me, it's not too matchy-matchy. I feel like it ties in well with the property and with the existing structure, and I love the way it looks. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty nice look, is when your shed matches your home, in I my think opinion. So. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, I really like the way it looks. Some people will do something completely different, a contrasting look, which is also okay. Um, a buddy of mine, Anthony is his name, uh, he built a shed, a really very nice contemporary-looking shed um, with some mix of stained wood and painted panels on the outside. It's gorgeous. It doesn't look anything like his house, but it's gorgeous. And that's okay too. Um, those are decisions that you have to make. What do you want it to look like? And when you decide what, what you want it to look like, then the materials you're going to use to make it um, will fall into place. Uh, roofing. That's another, that's a big one there because, you know, like you said, you wanted yours to match your home. Right. Uh, I have composite roofing architectural shingles on my home. Uh, but where I was posi- positioning my shed, the it was right under a tree. Multiple trees. Multiple trees. So I opted against that for two reasons. One was that the, the co- composition roofing would have gotten clogged up pretty quickly with pine needles. And those pine needles do not easily just wash away with the rain. Correct. They get stuck there. Yep. And the other thing was that I have a really 
a fairly low pitch roof. So it's not conducive for things to find their way from the top to the bottom, like a self-cleaning, you know, racetrack, for example. Right. You know, in an accident on the outside lane and, you know, your car just naturally slides down the... <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That The stuff, because it's a low pitch, like a 312 or a 412, because it's a low pitch, uh, you don't get a lot of that. Yeah, um, I actually have a one and a half twelve self cleaning. That's very yeah, very, very flat. Pitch. Yeah, it's not flat flat, but yeah, it's, it's uh, flatish. I definitely chose to go. It's the minimum pitch for the metal roofing that I chose. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, metal roofing is yeah, it gets wet and it gets slippery, and that stuff slides right off there. And so that's that is sort of a self cleaning sort of roof finish. Yeah, I agree with that more than more so than composite. Here's something else to consider when you're determining what your roofing is going to be. Um, have you thought about, let's go all the way back to electricity. Are you putting electricity into it? And is it going to be enough to light it as much as you need it to be lit? Or are you thinking about natural light from the outside, which would be a skylight or some sort of um, light in the in the roof structure? And how does the roofing you're choosing play with that? Yeah, no, that's a good, I actually really like the idea of natural lighting out in a shed, especially if you can't run electricity to it. Uh, putting a window in is always a good idea, in my opinion, uh, unless you're worried about security. You know, if you have secu- security concerns, you don't want to put a gigantic window on the side of the thing that somebody could easily just smash out. Uh, but putting a roof skylight in, uh, there's options there for composite. Or if you're, say you're putting a very simple shed in and you just have metal roofing over it, you can buy light kits or light panels that match the same profile as your roofing and they're clear so you just put those in there along with the roofing and you have all the natural light you need yeah that's smart here's another thing to consider Um, if you do want to have windows which will allow you to have ventilation and extra light coming in through the walls but you don't want to compromise your security it's a good idea to look at windows that are smaller like one foot tall or one and a half foot tall by three or four foot wide. So not very tall, but extra wide windows. And those can operate horizontal sliders, or they could also crank out like an awning. And so you can get ventilation and light without having a hole big enough for somebody to crawl through or think that they can burgle you. <laughs> burgle. Yeah. So uh, so that's something to consider. And windows, honestly, um, are not that expensive. So uh, that's not a budget breaker. Yeah. Or if you, you know, if you, even if you wanted to, one of the things I did in this shed was I, I found, uh, like at the Habitat Restore, just a window sash. A pa- yeah, like a it's, window pane. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a window sash. From so, an old barn or something. Yep. I framed it in the same size that it, as it would need to be, and then I just stuck it in with pieces of wood, and, and it, I didn't worry about them opening. Right. And we worry about the fact that it doesn't open now because it gets hot in here. Yes, it does. <laughs> but we get great light, um, not great ventilation, and we've actually had some talk about potentially putting a window in that opens uh, so that we can get a little cross ventilation in here. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, So these are things to consider when building a shed. This is important stuff. All of this stuff is important. Here's another one, Corey. I'm going to just throw a log right on the fire here. The door, your primary door, your main entrance door, if you're going to have one door, is it going to be big enough to get everything in there you want to get in there? Like my quad, for example, four feet wide. 
um, I'm going to have to have not just a door that's four foot wide, but wider so that I can push the bikes in and out, right? Yeah. And uh, your lawnmower and your other big things that are going to be going in and out. What size does your door need to be and how do you want that door to operate? I say that because on my shed, I have a six foot roll up door, which rolls right up over the top of everything that's in the shed. And I'll tell you what, it's like a mini little garage door. It is awesome. I love my access, getting in and out, getting stuff in and out is very easy. The door is easy to open and it's easy to lock and it's very secure. Yeah, I chose on my design because of the proximity of my shed to my house, I wanted it to look really nice. I didn't want to look outside and, and see a barn door. So I installed a very nice looking door in the center wide part of the building and I installed a double door on the end of the building. So it worked out really well. Very good. Okay, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to decide how you're going to get the material to where you want it in your yard and what's your access look like. You're listening to Tony Core, your weekend warriors. Don't go away. to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for sticking around. Today, Tony and I are talking about things to consider when building a shed. There's a lot to be said about design. That's what you've kind of been talking about a little bit, is taking the time to figure out how you want it to look and, you know, what are you going to store in it? What size windows? What size doors? Uh, think about that stuff ahead of time before you get to the budget stage, or maybe even some of those things would kind of get into, you know, your budget. Yeah. And how that's going to play out. Yeah. Okay. So uh, something else to consider. This is very important. When I alluded to it before we went to the break, um, how are you going to get to it, right? We have to deliver a bunch of materials there. Uh, wherever the materials are dropped, you have to pack them from there. Be thinking about that. If the shed is in your second backyard, which is 250 feet from the house, down a hill, across a little bit of water, um, you know, you, you want to be thinking about how is the best way to get the material back there and are you going to be hand jiving it back there? Um, this is something to consider. Uh, also you know, essentially just choosing your site as a whole and how you're going to be accessing it by foot later. All of those things matter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would, I would recommend one time I helped a buddy build a shed on his property and we built it in the summer, not knowing, I mean, he just bought the place and we built the shed. And then that winter and following spring, it was essentially a marshland. Oh, no. I mean, you couldn't even get in there without getting up knee-deep with mud. They had bad drainage, huh? Absolutely. So, I mean, that was something that he should have considered ahead of schedule or ahead of time, was to realize that that portion of the yard uh, wasn't proper to build. Right. I mean, even it though was it great looked, during the rest of the year, but it not during... It looked like it was going to be the right spot. Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, you are going to be using that during the winter months. And what the ground looks like around it during the winter months is going to be important. Yeah. Well, if it is, maybe it's not. 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> something to consider. It's something to consider. Absolutely. I love that. It's important to decide that. We were talking about how it's going to be oriented, right? This is kind of part of that same conversation. Where is it going to be in your yard? How are you going to access it? Or here, do you need to consider making a change to your fence or your gate or adding to or subtracting from your fence or your gate in order to make access to your new shop location or shed location, you know, more conducive to using it. That's going to cost a little bit of money and you want to put that in your budget. So that's important. Even though it's not part of the shed building process, um, if it's going to cost you money to get the whole thing done, you should consider it. One of the things that uh, I considered in my shed uh, was the criminal element. I wanted a very secure uh, building. So I built it strong, uh, but I also put in a heavy-duty door. And in the other set of doors that I put in, I built them out of solid wood and plywood, and I used uh, ways to keep the doors uh, lockable. Pretty big, bulky hardware, really. Yeah. So, I mean, it's something to consider. Depending on what you're storing in there and where it's located on your property, uh, that's that's something to keep in mind is is the criminal aspect because we've done this show before you know security on the security side of things what it takes to keep something to secure it you know in a criminal nine times out of ten is looking for an opportunity mm-hmm. and if they see a quiet building on the back piece of a property uh, or it butts up to somewhere where they can pop off a piece of fence and the window's right there yeah you know yep. That's yeah, what we're crimes about. of opportunity. Um, here's something else. When it when you're thinking about choosing your site, right? We've touched on electricity earlier. Are you going to run electricity out there? Do you want to have light and uh, or maybe a fan or something? Do you want to have outlets out there that you can plug your tools into? Whatever that might be. If you've chosen the site and it is a very long ways away from the house, that's a long stretch of land that you're either going to have to d- trench to put the electricity in the ground or you can do something in order to run the electricity overhead if that's what you've chosen to do. But you'll also need to locate that area. If you're digging down to put electricity in the ground, you're going to need to have that located. And that's something that's going to take time to get scheduled and have somebody come out and do. And that's something to consider. It's something you don't want to overlook. Yes, definitely. That's for sure. You can call before you dig. 811. Have you ever been in that situation, Tom? I, uh, have, I have seen a situation similar to that. Um, fortunately the onus was not on me and I was merely a bystander. Um, but I, I know the stress that it adds to somebody yeah. when, um, when they're digging and they encounter something that they didn't expect and they think, wait a minute, actually in the case that I was in, Corey, I'll be honest with you. The guy did call, he called and they located and he dug away from where they located. And you know what? It crossed right through there. They simply didn't do it all. They did mark some stuff that was there, but they didn't mark this thing. So he actually called. They marked. They just missed this one. And it was a scary situation, but ultimately ended up fine. You know, it didn't cost anybody a bunch of money. But yeah, those are, it's real. You may think, oh, what are the chances? What are the chances? I'm only going to dig down six or eight inches so I can bury this electrical. As soon as you say that's when it's going to happen. Yeah. And you don't want it to be you because that can be crazy expensive. Yeah. And honestly, I've seen sewer or or water or septic or whatever. Those pipes aren't really that deep. Uh, in some places they are, but they aren't always that deep. Uh, rain drain, 
you know, there's just stuff you don't want to be digging up, power and gas and all that. So anyway, enough about that. It's just something to consider, right? Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Considering what you're putting into your shed. So uh, let's talk a little bit. Let's get more into the, the actual the construction, construction. Yeah. This of, is my favorite part. Of your shed. Yeah. The There are several ways to build. Tony and I, we talked a little bit about it earlier. You know, the shed that I built, I did kind of a post and beam construction. I had uh, piers that I dug down and I put gravel on and I set the piers, got those all level with each other. And then I used uh, box beams and I, you know, I beamed everything in and then I decked it with an uh, inch and an eighth, excuse me, edge gold decking. So that gave me a really solid foundation that I could build, you know, the walls and roof on top of that. Uh, the downside to that is that it's up, it was up off the ground. You know, whenever you build anything, your pier, you got to take your pier pad, plus your beams, plus your decking. Plus your bracket. Plus your bracket and all of that stuff that goes into building that frame. It could potentially be... 8, 10, 12 yeah, inches. 8, 10, 12, yeah, whatever it is. More than a step, which results in you having to install a step. So that you're not stepping up 12 inches every time you step into your shed. Yes, potentially building a ramp. Or a ramp, yeah. Yeah. In my situation, I dug down each pier and I bar like almost buried them underground uh, to the point where they were just sticking out a little bit. And I used gra uh, gravel down below those so they wouldn't sink. And I compacted everything. And then when I got my piers and my beam on top of that, I used four by six. And it was only, you know eight inches above the ground by the time I was done. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I built a, a patio. So then I was able to bring in more gravel, more rock. And now my patio, it's only about what, four, a, a four, four, four inch, five yeah. inch step up. Very small. Into the shed, which is perfect. Yeah, it's nice. When you were putting down the blocks, the, your foundation, if you will, when you were putting down your blocks, you said you were digging holes, digging down, you added gravel, you put your blocks down. Did you level block to block to block all the way through long before you ever got beams on there? Or did you wait to level until after you got the, eyeball it until you got the beams on there and then put the level on top of the beams? That's, uh, no, no, no. Yeah, I leveled. You each, leveled the blocks as you went. Each block, yeah. Okay. Each pier pad. This is a tip, folks. Here's a tip for you. Put, when, you put, when you're putting your pier blocks down and you're digging down into the ground and putting them down, throw, dig it down extra, throw gravel in the bottom, and that will make for an easy up or down if you need to adjust that block up or down. Dig the hole deep enough, put some gravel in there, put the block in, and then later, if you feel like one block is a little too high or a little too low, it's just a matter of a couple handfuls of gravel, spread it out even, put the block back in, boom, you're raised up. Yeah. You raised up a half an inch or an inch or whatever it was you needed. That's very easy. Going back to the shovel... After you've finished digging those holes, nobody wants to do that. <laughs> nobody wants to do that. It's so much easier with gravel or even with sand. If you choose to use sand, that's another thing that people do sometimes. Super easy to get a flat surface that way. Yeah. And the nice part about that sort of construction is, is if you build on a slope. Uh, I've seen a lot of times where people, the back of somebody's yard slopes right off down to, you know, four or five feet down. And they want to put a shed there. Like, well, I want to put a shed right here on the edge of my property. But how do I do that? Do I have to dig down? Do I have to build a retaining wall? Well, no. You can just dig your pier pad down and then post up. 
to your beam to be level with the rest of them. Yeah. Well, that's a very good idea, and I love the way that turns out. We got so much more to talk about and so many more decisions to make. You won't want to miss this. You're listening to Tony and Corey, your weekend warriors. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. Today we're talking about things to consider when building a shed. But I do want to say, if you haven't already, go check out our Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and Pinterest pages. Uh, we're all over the internet now. We're playing the show on YouTube right now at the uh, at our video podcast. You just have to search WW Home Show. Uh, Facebook and Instagram, we're at WW Home Show. Uh, or you can go to par.com, that's P-A-R-R.com, uh, and click on the Weekend Warriors link, and that'll take you to our website. Yep, you can and, reach uh, us at weekendwarriors at par.com. Yeah, you can email Weekend us. Warriors at par.com. We love hearing from you, uh, getting your questions and comments. We always like to uh, answer those as to the best of our ability. Yep, absolutely. Corey, we were talking about the foundation. We're talking about building the foundation and how it's going to get done. We give us a little, some little tips about gravel and, and that sort of a thing. Um. I had a situation years ago where I, I had uh, this, little, this little piece of pretty flat ground, really, and it was nice and dry and hard, and uh, and I dug down in there and put my pier blocks down on top of gravel and and uh, set that whole thing up, built the shed, and wouldn't you know it, Corey, a few years later, I noticed that the back half of that shed sunk. Ooh, that's a bummer. Yeah, pier blocks. All three pier blocks across the back, or all four pier blocks across the back, sunk down about like four inches. Hmm. And uh, you know, I don't know how um, I was gonna. I don't know how I was gonna anticipate that. I don't know how I was going to mitigate that as being a problem. And honestly, I without calling out a um, geotech, yeah, somebody who knows a lot more about dirt than I do. I'm not sure that you can. I think there's going to be some situations like that. Something that I did to the ground in the backyard, right behind and at or around the shed, some changes that I made back there probably affected that dirt there. Um, like it, it, you know, if I if I dug out and put a a walkway or some stepping stones or something back in there changed the way the water was routed or who knows what. And it softened up that back part of the, of the shed right there. And it sunk a little bit, but, um, but you know, I got a really good buddy named uh, Corey. I don't know if you know him and uh, he's going to come over and help me with that. We're going to raise, we're going to raise that shed up and uh, with some bottle jacks or something and, and fix that. But sounds very generous. I think that you just want to make sure that you've got, in your opinion, some good hard ground. If the ground is super soft when you're digging the holes for your pier blocks, that might be a telltale sign. If it's really soft, I think you want to have some decently hard packed ground that you're working with. Don't put your pier block on top of something that's soft and spongy. I think that's the best advice we can give. Yeah, no, it is. Um, another, I mean, if you're really, really worried about it, you could always, you know, go get a post hole digger dig down 
and use a sono tube. You know, you can buy these cardboard tubes, 8-inch, 12-inch, 16-inch round tubes. Form tube, yeah. Form tube, and uh, drop that down in there and fill that with concrete, and that would be a pretty sturdy pier. Pour a column, yeah, that's yeah, a good pour idea. Pour a column down into the ground there. Mm-hmm. That's a good idea. That's probably what you should have done there. But I guess if you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, I didn't know. At luckily, the time, I didn't it's know. only a shed and not your house. Yeah, but like I'm saying, um, if, I, if I'm if i doing that again, the next time I'm do, building that shed, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna be a little more cautious and make sure that the ground that I'm building on is pretty firm. Yeah, that's a good, I mean, it's all the only tip you can get, really, unless you want to call and spend money on uh, a geotech. I have somebody come out, they take core samples of the soil and they tell you how far and the, you know, the density and all of those things. And sometimes you have to have those when you're building a home, you know, because you're putting a lot of weight down and you can't build on fill, fill dirt. Right. So they'll say, you know, hey, this is all filled. Are you going to excavate it away or you have to, you know, put pilings down into the ground, helical pilings that go down to, you know bedrock i mean mm-hmm. I've, it's i've seen some crazy stuff yeah so that's a lot that's uh yeah that's a lot that might tell you i'm not gonna build a shed here yeah <laughs> build might, it over there that might be yeah <laughs> absolutely so, okay uh, so what's another option you said you chose pier blocks we put pier blocks down and, and beams on top of those what's then what's another option well probably another very popular option would be to build it on a slab and what we mean by that is a concrete slab uh, which is another way to build. You could build a slab with footings, just like you would build any normal home. You'd have your you know, six-inch w- wide footing with your concrete slab. Uh, typically, if you're going to build that way, uh, you would probably more than likely be required to pull permits. Yeah, well, there's also, uh, there's also very popular as a monopore where you get footings and the slab all at the same time. You've dug out the footings in the ground and you have your gravel up on top and then you pour that whole thing all at one time. Of course, you've, you know, have that all built and ready to go um, as opposed to just pouring footings and then a slab in the middle. But again, uh, if you're going to do that, you're, you're probably going to be required to put some rebar in there. And uh, that's going to be something that would need to be permitted. Yeah, I'm not, a, I don't, I've never had a concrete project really uh, of that scale. Um, the only thing I've ever built was a, a footing, you know, I had to b- build a new footing in my home. Uh, but yeah, I've never done any sort of foundation work or anything like that. So I'd be the wrong person to ask there. Yeah, I poured a couple of pads for a, uh, for heat pump. But uh, apart from that, I haven't done a lot of, with concrete yeah. as far as, you know, being responsible for making sure it's up to code and, and yeah. all of that sort of stuff. I have done patios uh, where I've brought in, you know, gravel, quarter minus, three quarter minus, you know, compacted, wet it down, compacted, brought in sand, those sorts of things. I've done projects like that. I've just never done the concrete. Mm-hmm. So, but in my opinion, the easiest form to do would be to make it on a post and beam on pier pads. That's probably going to be your least expensive route. For sure. Or probably the most the most least expensive route would be to just have a gravel floor. I mean, I've seen that before too, where you just put in gravel, compact it, put in more gravel, compact it, and you essentially are building a flat surface and you can either do pole style where you dig holes in the ground every four feet or every six feet and you run your poles up just like you would do any pole building Mm -hmm. and uh, you build with that. I've seen that done before as well. And that's a pretty effective way yeah. to build 
in an area that might be difficult to build in under normal circumstances. Yeah, but I would caution again one more time, if you do decide to go without a floor, um, some sort of vapor barrier down there underneath that rock. I mean, they, they sell some pretty heavy-duty stuff at landscape supply places that's intended to be underneath rock. You know, rock has a tendency to shred uh, things like that. Yeah. Um, but they, they make stuff that's in geofabric. Yeah, stuff that's uh, specifically for that purpose. Put that down first, gravel on top of that, compact that, and that will keep... Uh, Hopefully keep that moisture from and, and weeds or whatever from coming up through there. Yeah, I'm more worried about the moisture. Yeah, me too. Uh, especially since I, I park some pretty expensive things in those areas and I, would want, I wouldn't want them to get torn up. So, yeah, that's good. Um, so there you go. Pier pads versus versus pouring footings. You know, that's uh, that's those are your options there. Pier pads or a uh, or a slab on grade or, you know, going pole barn style. That's that's exactly what we're talking about. Now, pressure treated or standard or better? We're going to answer that question as soon as we come back. You're listening to Tony Core, your weekend warriors. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Thanks for staying with us today. Tony and I are talking about things to consider when building a shed. And uh, it's very important to put all of these things down on paper, or at least consider them. Talk about them before you rush out into anything. You know, when I was looking at building a shed initially, I thought to myself, man, you know, it wouldn't be that difficult to just go buy one of those kits you see, you know, one of those locations that maybe builds the pre-built sheds and yeah. they crane them in and they yeah. slap it down and you're done. I'm so glad you mentioned that. We really need to talk about that. Yeah, uh, I was tempted. But when I really laid out what I wanted to put into my shed, it just didn't make sense. There, was, there wasn't really anything that fit what I wanted to fit for the price that I wanted to spend, you know, they, they got bigger and they got better. And, and the more bigger and better they got, the more expensive they got. And I reached this threshold where I was like, I can build that myself for half of what you're going to charge me to crane it in there. So it really worked out in my situation. Well, here's another thing to mention, and this is super important. The details about your shed that make your shed user-friendly, that make it exactly what you wanted it to be, that make it super functional. Those details a lot of times are left out on a pre-made shed that's for sale somewhere for a really good price. How about not being able to stand upright inside of the shed without yeah. hitting your head on the roof? Or how about ducking every time you go through the door because the door is not six foot eight tall. Now, look, I'm a tall guy and I understand that the world doesn't revolve around me as a tall guy, but there is no way I'm buying or building a shed that I have to duck every time I walk through the door and I have to duck while I'm standing inside. A lot of these sheds do not have eight foot walls. You think I walk in my house, I've got eight foot walls. That is the standard. 
A lot of sheds don't have eight-foot walls. They simply don't. Um, a lot of sheds don't have six-foot-eight doors. They simply don't. And uh, if you if you don't realize that at the time that you're getting the super great deal that they're selling it for, then it can be a major bummer later. Yeah. Um, so that's important. It's important to note. You want your, your shed to be everything you want it to be. That's a good point. Don't compromise. Well, and that's why I always say, build it bigger than you think that you're going to need it. Build it as big as you think you're going to need it and then build it a little bit bigger. Yeah, right. Add a foot, you know, yeah. extend it out of there a little bit more because you will kick yourself if you get that thing done and it just looks absolutely gorgeous and then you load it up and you're going to squeeze that last thing in there. You know, oh, I'm going to put the bikes in there. Yeah. Yeah, don't fit. When you are framing the floor of your shed, Corey, do you need to use pressure-treated material if the material is not making contact with the ground? So, yes. I mean, so here's here's my take on it. If it touches anything that touches the ground directly, for instance, um, concrete pier pads. You're right. If you're putting your beams on concrete pier pads that are touching the ground, that water will absorb right through those concrete pier pads and right into the beam lumber. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it is. Sure. So either you have to figure out some sort of membrane um, if you're using a flat top pier pad, for instance, you can use little pieces of com- composition roofing. That's how they build home construction. They have a little piece of moisture barrier. Yeah, moisture barrier, like a piece of roofing. They put a post on top of that and set a beam on top of that. So, yes, you can use for Stan- lumber, but standard you, or better. Standard or better. You just have to you have to think about it. Untreated lumber. Consider how that's being built. Right. Untreated lumber. Uh, you know, and it has a lot to do with the surroundings too. I'm going to just throw this in here. I get questions all the time about the understructure of a deck or the understructure of a shed or a shop or these types of things. Do they need to be pressure treated? Look, every situation is different. If you're in an area where you don't have a lot of trees around, you don't have a lot of um, moisture in the air in your area, right? Or if you have if you're really good drainage in your backyard, you don't have standing water in the winter. These are all things that will affect the moisture content of your lumber that's underneath your shed or underneath your deck, right? But if you're up on a hill and everything is very airy and you don't have any trees that are around, then, you know, you can get away a lot easier with using untreated lumber in these scenarios. But if it's touching the ground or making contact with concrete, which is porous or another porous material, you definitely need to make that moisture barrier break if you're going to use untreated lumber. Otherwise, treated lumber is the way to go. Yeah, or if you're sticking it in the ground. If you're right. doing a pole barn construction and you're putting those posts into the ground, absolutely use pressure-treated lumber. I mean, it just makes sense. It doesn't cost that much more money, uh, and you'll it's going to last a lot longer. So how high do you want this off the ground? You said you dug your pier blocks down into the ground a little bit, set your beam on top of that, built your floor on top of that. You ended up with yours being about uh, eight or so inches off the ground. And then, of course, you raised the ground outside of it with your patio. But how high does somebody really want it to be off the ground? Well, that's, I mean, that's something to consider. You know, it's it's completely entirely up to you. If it's two feet off the ground, then you'd probably want to build stairs to it. And if you're storing uh, like a lawnmower, then you'd probably want to build a ramp. So you just have to think about those things before you go ahead and build it and then think to yourself, oh, shoot, how am I going to get my mower in there? Yeah. You know, I got to lift it up every time. Uh, You know, my shed is just at the right height where I can 
tilt the front of the mower down, put the wheels in there, lift the back in, and I'm good. Yeah. You know, I don't have to have a ramp to get up six inches right. off the ground. Right. So yours worked out just the way you wanted it to be. You're not worried about getting airflow underneath this building. That's not the situation, right? No. And I mean, there is airflow on three sides or two sides, you know, and the other two where the the bricks are. And I mean, there's a little bit of airflow there, uh, but I'm not entirely worried about it because I built my whole understructure out of pressure treated lumber. Right. So you did. I did. Okay. All right. Well, so that's, that's something to consider. How, what lumber did you use for the bottom and, and, and whether or not you need to have uh, airflow through there. Here's another question for you, Corey. Green lumber or dry lumber? Well, th- yeah. I mean, that is a question. That, uh, the question of the ages? Yeah, a question <laughs> of the So, I mean, you're going to go into par lumber company and say, hey, I want to build this shed. That's going to be a question they're going to ask you. Do you want green or dry? Right. First of all, we should describe green versus dry. Green lumber means that it was cut. It was kept wet so that it didn't twist and uh, cup and do all those things. So it's kept wet. And they run it through the saws and the mills, literally cut wet, and it's stacked wet, bundled wet. And then when you get it, it's, it. you know, I've heard this before. Oh, it's been sitting out in the sun long enough. It's got to be dry by now. <laughs> That's not entirely true. Yeah. That's actually the probably the furthest thing from the truth. Yeah. Um, when you get it, I mean, it could be 100 degrees outside for a month straight, and you'll open up the middle of a, a unit of two by fours in the middle, all of them will be soaking wet. Yeah. It makes me think of, it makes me think of cordwood. When you want to burn cordwood, you cut a tree, you, you cut it up into rounds, you split it up into quarters, whatever you call those split chunks, right? And then you throw it on the fire, right? (laughs) No, no, it has to season, right? It's green right now. And green lumber doesn't like to burn. So you have to stack it and let it dry and season. So when you said it was all of the milling that was done was done while it was wet, it's also to say it was done while it was green. Lumber is green until it is dried or seasoned. And once it's dried or seasoned, it is no longer green. Right. But Uh, there are, you know, the difference between kiln dried and green lumber. I mean, you can have dry different types of dried wood. You can have air dried just like you would season your cordwood. Right. It's just going to sit, you know, with, you know, stickers between it, letting the air, you know, travel between it and it just naturally will dry out. Mm-hmm. If you have a piece of kiln dried wood that is completely different. It has gone through a heat treating process into a gigantic oven that bakes the the moisture out of it and closes the cell structure of that wood fiber, not allowing for moisture to be reabsorbed into it. Right. So that is completely dry. And that is the end of that. No longer green. But I will give you the biggest benefit to it when we get back from the break. All right, we take a quick break. When we come back, more things to consider when building a shed. You're listening to Tony Core, your weekend warriors. Don't go away. Listening to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us today. Tony and I are talking about things to consider. Talking about things to consider when building a shed, 
And uh, before the break, we were talking about green versus dry lumber. Right. When you walk into Par Lumber and you're going to order a lumber package for your shed, they're going to say, do you want green or do you want dry? Well, I don't want it to be green. That's ugly. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking more of a sort of brownish color, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> In that, uh, you know, the, it is confusing to some people because they don't know that terminology. Yeah. But what green means is that it was cut, milled, stacked, all while it was wet. It has not been gone through. It has not gone through a drying process. Uh, when you w- the lumber that we stock that's dry is called S dry, and what that means is that it was surfaced dry. It was dried first. Dried first, and, and there's yep. there's no distinguishing um, term for S dry lumber of how it's dried. So, but it just so happens that. 99.9% all of the S-dry that we stock at Par Lumber has been kiln dried. It's gone through a kiln and then they surface it. They will a lot of times if you look at the stamp it'll say HT which is heat treated. Right. And then you know that that's how it was done. That doesn't really matter. It brings it down to a 0.19 or 19% moisture content which is I think is what is the standard and um, and that's dry lumber. Dry lumber is a can be beneficial. Because it has made its move. When lumber is green and it dries out during the drying process, it tends to bow, split, check, twist, crack, you know, do a lot of those types of things. Even if it's just a little bit. I mean, I'm not saying it turns into a ski. Sometimes it does. Um, but it moves a little bit. And that moving process, you know, a lot of times is uh, will be just enough to make you not want that piece of wood. Yeah. So if you get it green... And then it does that. It's not an option for you anymore. It does that, and you don't get to you don't get to have a choice in the matter because it's already in the structure. Yeah. Typically, with green lumber, uh, guys like to frame with it because it's it eas- it's easier to nail through. Uh, the nails that you buy are are vinyl coated. They actually put a coating on there that helps that nail drive through green lumber super easy. Yeah. Uh, when you put it in, and as it dries, it won't typically twist and cup as it dries after it's nailed together. That's pretty common for that to just not do that. Um, but the biggest benefit to buying dry, in any case, is that you're going to eliminate, almost eliminate, the possibility for mold growth. Um, if you don't uh, give green lumber time to dry before you cover it up, say you're sheetrocking the inside of your shed. If you built it out of green, you would want to make sure that you dry the interior of that shed for quite a long time uh, before you sheetrocked it. Otherwise, you're trapping that moisture in there and it could potentially cause mold growth. Uh, another big benefit to dry lumber is it's super light. Yeah, it's easy to pack you, around. Yeah, if you pack around, you know, five, six, two by four eights on your shoulder and then you grab five or six, two by four S, eight S dried lumber, there's a huge difference. Yeah, yeah. Huge difference. Okay, here's the next question you need to answer. Corey, for me... Two by four or two by six walls in your shed? Well, I built mine out of two by four because I had no intention of insulating. I had no intention of using sheetrock or anything of that sort. So, you know, I didn't care too much about that. And really the only difference between two by four and two by six, the reason we've switched to two by six is insulation. Right. Gives you the only reason. Gives you that that higher R value. Uh, If you pack a you pack a two by six, five and a half inches of insulation instead of three and a half inches of insulation, you get a higher R value, which right. is a better performance, which is uh, why that's required in a home. Yeah, that is the only reason. 
I mean, other than unless you were building multi-story buildings, uh, two by four, the capacity of a two by four, I mean, is high enough to hold up most houses. Yep. So unless you're insulating, it sounds like you keep that money in your pocket and build out a two by four. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how about header sizes? What are you using? Four by six, four by eight, four by 10, four by 12? You know, that's something I feel like is very specific to the shed that you're building. If you're building a shed and you have a six foot opening on, and it's a pretty large span sitting on that, then you're probably going to want a decent sized header in there. Um, a salesperson at Par Lumber Company can help you size that beam correctly. That's great news. It is. Yeah, that's uh, maybe not every salesperson, but if you get one that doesn't have that knowledge, then certainly they can find someone yeah, in the can, company that does. They can point you in the right direction, right. Uh, either with span tables or we have people on staff at Par Lumber. Uh, there's only two of them for all of our locations, but they can get you on the phone with them. Yeah. And then what they're going to do is they're going to ask you questions about the span, and then they're going to ask you questions about the load. And I get this all the time where people say, well, it's, I need a beam size. And you say, well, what, you know, what's the span on it? And they're like, well, it's, you know, 10 feet. Well, what, you know, I need to know what's sitting on it. That's the other part of that equation. Yeah, what's sitting on it? And they'll say, oh, there's no load on it. Oh, there's. I hear that all the time. Yeah, there's well, there's no, nothing. There's nothing up there. There's no roof, huh? Oh, then you don't need a beam. Oh, yeah. You don't need a beam. <laughs> if there's nothing up there, you don't need there's a beam. There's nothing up there. There's yeah. still just tiny. So what, what they're going to ask you is the span of that beam, clear span of that beam. And then they're going to ask you about the tributary loading that's sitting on it. So they're, what they're going to want to know is how long, say, the roof joists are that are sitting on that beam. They're going to want to know the overhang on the one side and then how far back from that beam to the, the other support those joists are on the other side. So, for instance, if it's 10 feet from the back of the shed to the front of the shed where your door sits and then you have a three-foot overhang out the front, the tributary loading on that beam is eight feet, but you don't need to know that. You just have to give them all of the dimensions to be able to calculate that. That makes that sense. Beam. You want to make sure you that you uh, size your beams correctly for the window or door that it's going to be right. Even if it, even for a shed, mm -hmm. trust me, you don't want to come back to something that you've put in something small. You've gotten a couple big snowstorms, and that thing turns into a smiley face. Yeah, you know. Okay, so uh, we've talked about that. A lot of the walls and that type of stuff, 2x4 versus 2x6. What about trusses versus hand-cut roof? Um, I know you. I know what you did with yours. You used 2x8 and you hand-cut your roof. It's a shed style. Um, but what do you think about, you know, if it's, an, if it's a traditional A-frame type roof, um, trusses or, or hand-cut? Trusses are fantastic. I mean, honestly. You, you send your dimensions to the trust company, they do the design, they make them, they deliver them, and you put them up. I mean, they're super easy. It's already done. You sheet it and you're good to go. Um, it's really cost. You know, trust, trusses cost a fair amount more than to hand cut a roof. Trusses cost more than the wood they're made from? Well, absolutely. I mean, there's manufacturing, there's trucking. Right. I mean, all of those things some go into hardware, that. Hardware, some engineering in there. Right. So that, yeah. if you take all that away... You know, the other aspect of that is if you're hand cutting a roof, there's a bit of know-how that you need to be able to get that done. Mm -hmm. So not everybody will possess the knowledge to be able to hand cut an A-frame roof, you know, with your bird mouth cuts and all of those things and using a, you know, a, a ridge, ridge beam, beam and yeah. all of those things. So 
just depends. Yeah. On what on you your, want. Yeah, it depends on your level of expertise, the, the amount of labor that you want to do, how much time you have, how much money you want to spend, or, you know, are you trying to do it on the budget? There's a lot of things that, to consider when you're deciding whether or not you're going to use trusses or hand cut your roof. That's that's a great piece of advice. Yeah. You just need to consider it and decide what's going to be better. Uh, I, when I built my shed, hand cut, of course, um, and uh, it turned out great, and it went up pretty fast. And uh, I love it. It's super strong. So we're, my situation worked out great. Yeah. Did you do a shed? Is it yours shed roof style? Nope. Like mine's, nope. I got a gable end. Gable end? Yep. Gable end, front and back. And uh, we used two by eight. Uh, we used a two by eight ridge beam and two by six rafters, I guess you call those, uh, as opposed to joist, right? Mm-hmm. And bird's mouth and the whole thing. Yeah, it worked, worked out, turned out really good. Love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah, that's a... Uh, it's, also a design design decision too. I mean, if you have a flat roof like mine, uh, you really wouldn't want to trust this. Yeah. So something to consider. Absolutely. Something to consider. Um, what about the style? We talked about the style a little bit. Um, are you going with a gambrel? Are you going with a gable? Are you going with a shed? Those are decisions you have to make. We'll talk more about that as soon as we come back. You're listening to Tony Corey, your weekend warriors. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us today. Tony and I are talking about things to consider when building a shed. So we've gone over the design. We've picked out where we're going to put it in the in the yard. And uh, we, we've kind of been going over the material used in the shed. So when you make these decisions and you walk into your local par lumber and you say, I want to buy this shed, here's my material list or my package. They're going to ask you a lot of questions. You know, the first one was what, you know, green or dry. Pressure treated or or untreated. Untreated. Uh, Let's keep going through some of those things. Before the break, you said, you know, this is more of a design aspect, but you said, are you going to use a Gabriel, Gabriel, a Gable, a hip, a shed, or an eco roof? Oh, yeah. I, I wasn't thinking eco-roof, but that's actually a really good idea. We, we've we spent a lot of time talking about that, which is very, very cool. And if you were going to try your hand at something like that, this would be the way to do it. But there's a lot that goes into that. And we certainly don't have time to talk about it on this show today. But you do a little bit of research. I think I'm going to try that one of these days. An eco-roof? Yeah, I think it would be very cool to have a living roof on top of my shed. There's a lot of people in my neighborhood that have eco-roofs. With a, with a tiny, tiny little... Um, lawnmower, <laughs> like a miniature lawnmower. Yeah. The people in my re- neighborhood have eco roofs cause they never clean them. Yeah. <laughs> because they have trees growing out of their gutters. gutters. Yeah. Uh, do you know what a gambrel roof is? I do. That's like your traditional sort of barn shaped roof where you generally see a, um, a chicken up on top, you know, and like a double pitched. Yeah. Yeah. You know, right. Yeah. Those are gambrel. Those are pretty cool. I like those. I don't know if it just wasn't right for me. I went. With a gable end? Or a mansard? Oh, I don't know about that. Mansard? Is it mansard or mansard? I don't know. That's an interesting one, too. Uh, So anyway, choosing the design there uh, is going to help you make that decision, but... Okay, next material question. Are you ready? Yes. Corey, CDX or 
oriented strand board. Plywood versus OSB. That's what I'm saying. That's the classic question. That is a classic question. And the fact is, especially right now, uh, there's a big price disparity between the two. I mean, you can get a sheet of oriented strand board or wafer board for about 10 bucks right now, where, uh, you know, less, yeah. you'd be paying 16 or 17 bucks for a sheet of half inch CDX. Yeah, you know, that's a personal decision. Uh, I have no problem with OSB. Um, in my personal home construction, I would build my home out of OSB. I would use it. Uh, it's come a long ways. I've heard of people calling it all kinds of weird names. Was wood <laughs> was the funniest one that I've ever heard. Uh, but it, uh, it's it, good. It has changed over the years. They've added so much resin to it. it the technology has come a long way. It doesn't blow up like it used to, you know, back when it first came out in the eighties. Uh, they've it's come a long way. So I would use OSB on the exterior walls of my home. When I got to the roof, I would switch to plywood. I would switch to CDX plywood. You like the way that it handles those adverse conditions in the event that you have them uh, better than the, the better than the orange strand board. Yeah, I mean, especially uh, like a roof system that's 24 inches on center, which is very common. OSB tends to transpose between the roof rafters a little more than CDX. So sometimes you'll see that on a roof. You'll see the 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 OSB kind of settling and flexing between each yeah. of the roof rafters. Uh, you can avoid that by using plywood clips. That's a really handy tool. They make these little plywood clips that are, you know, what are they, 10 cents a piece? Oh, yeah, super inexpensive. They're the H clips. And you put them in between each panel, and it kind of keeps them together with, you know, prevents them from, from doing that. But mm -hmm. CDX plywood for the roof, in my opinion, is the way to go. Okay, so talking about the roof, uh, we know what you chose for your roofing on your home. Uh, a really uh, high-quality, 100-year, heavy-duty, presidential-style uh, composition roofing. And we know what you chose for your shed, which was metal, because of your unique situation and the shed-style roof that you put on. Um, what is your opinion about other types of roofing and sheds? I mean... Three tab, least expensive, put it up and go. Well, believe it or not, three tab roofing is not the least expensive. If you go to the roofing store right now and you say, I want to get the least expensive roofing, they're going to give you architectural comp roofing, which has more of a pattern to it. And the reason is, is because it's way more popular. Right. Everybody's using it. Yeah. It comes right back to supply and demand. Yep. They have to have that on the ground. So it becomes less expensive. Yeah. And the manufacturers, the manufacturers have gone away from it. So now they're only using their manufacturing architectural. So to get three, three tab, you're essentially saying I need three tab to, to maybe fill in or patch an area and they're going to charge you a premium for it. Yeah. So I think composition roofing is probably the least expensive roof you could put on other than maybe rolled roofing, but uh, yeah. That's okay. my opinion. Okay, here's the next one. Uh, we're talking about the door. We did talk a little bit about the door before already. Uh, you put some, you made some doors, so a pair of plywood doors uh, on the back of your shed, but then you put a pre-hung a man door on, on one other side of your shed. Yeah. Um, I talked about my overhead door, which I absolutely love. What's your opinion? If there's going to just be one door on the shed, uh, what's the best way to go? What you did was the way to go. I mean, honestly, you put a small garage door on that thing. Yeah, yeah. That's the that's the best way to do it. 
Yeah, I felt like it for the money. I felt like it was the way to go. It was 350 bucks. But honestly, 350 bucks for a door these days is uh, really not that much money. Yeah. So uh, for 350 bucks, if you can have an overhead door, I agree. That's definitely the way to go. Well, and I would say too, depending on the you know the design of your shed, if you have a long narrow shed, I would consider putting a man door somewhere in the middle or somewhere in the back so that you have access to the back. That way you don't have to necessarily worry about where you're storing things inside the shed, that you can still access it. Okay, siding on the shed. Match the house, go with something inexpensive, or how about this? Match the house on the front, inexpensive on three sides. Yeah, you know, I I did cedar siding on mine uh, on three sides, and on the very back, where nobody will see but my neighbor, <laughs> I did T111. Yeah. So... Yeah, quite, quite a, a bit of a savings uh, between T111 and cedar lap siding. Huge savings. Yeah, huge. quite a bit. Yeah, quite enormous. Bit huge. So that's something to consider. I mean, for sure, you can save some money um, and side your, your shed on the, on the side that's going to be visible from the street or whatever uh, with the stuff that matches the house. It looks really good. And then the sides that aren't as, as visible, use something less expensive. Still performs good. It just isn't as expensive. Yeah. Vapor barrier. How about vapor barrier? Did we uh, we decide whether or not you're putting vapor barrier on the shed? I mean, obviously you're siding it, and uh, vapor barrier would be standard on the house. But do you spring for that on the shed? Or do you just go with something inexpensive like snorkel paper or tar paper? Yeah, I mean that again. It, it depends on what you're putting inside of the shed. If you're going to dry that thing out, and it's going to be a uh, uh, an area where you're storing things like books or papers or things that you don't want to get musty. Um, the idea behind a, a weather-resistant barrier is that the moisture uh, can exit out, it can breathe out, but not necessarily come in and keep everything wet. So yeah, I mean, if it just depends on what you're storing in there. You know, because we finished this thing off, I actually did put Tyvek on the exterior of the shed. So that is helping us out prevent that moisture from coming into the building. Yeah, absolutely. And we know because we tested it on here and this thing, this studio of ours, it was your shed. It's so Ooh, tight. It is tight as it gets. Um, there's some a few other things not to, to take too lightly. How important is it that you put metal on the roof, rake metal? How important is it that you put Z metal over your windows and doors, your fenestrations? How important are these things eh, on a shed? Well, it's again, you know, it just depends on what you're using it for. If it's a small building, you know, just like your home, are you are you storing things in it that you don't want to get moist and, and musty? You absolutely want to finish it off and treat every opening like you would your house, um, especially if you want it to last any any period of time. Uh, consider building your shed at the coast, at the beach, and you're in that salt spray air. You know, you want to use everything in stainless steel. All yeah. your hinges, you want to do stainless steel. If you want you're it to flashing. last. Yeah. Yes. You don't have to. Nobody's telling you you have to. Right. But consider the problems that you're going to run into when two years down the road, everything's rusted up and it just looks terrible. Yeah. All right, I'm thinking about the very last thing. This is a question that even I had to ask myself and answer. And uh, honestly, it's tempting to go the other way. But do you put a gutter 
on your shed or do you not? You think the roof is small, it's not going to really get that much water, but is it gutter or no gutter? Uh, I think it depends. Again, depends on where the water is going to go. If the water is coming off and it's going to potentially impact another portion of your property, absolutely put a gutter on. And that's all the time we got. Thanks, folks, so much for tuning in. This has been another episode of Your Weekend Warriors right here on the Weekend Warriors Radio Network. Have a great week.